0: You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast. A podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now,
1: here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your fearless leader, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by my cohorts, Sean and Rick. And uh, today, we have a special guest, Chris Birch of Modifius Entertainment. He is famous, and good-looking. He also happens to have a really great Kickstarter uh, oh, game found project up called Skyrim that you may or may not have heard us rave about on every episode since we landed the the gig. I'm just so excited to really just draw his wisdom out for you guys in relation to you know marketing and, and helping you guys do better in your future crowdfunding efforts. And welcome to the show, Chris. Hi. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. First question, how do you make it through life being so good looking and running a company?
2: <laughs> you might want to ask my wife that one first. <laughs> but I, I couldn't do it without her. We started the company together, yeah, 10 years ago, a year after we met. And uh, yeah, it's um, been a crazy rock and roll ride since.
1: I was listening to you on a podcast somewhere else and I heard you say that you just kind of started it out of your garage with some RPGs with your wife and now it's this gigantic machine. Yeah. (laughs) So what made this transition from it just being a hobby to this being a significant, like where did the momentum come? You know what I mean?
2: I'd been an entrepreneur all my life. I used to work with a guy called David Grant, who's a, if you're an English and you know the name he was, had a band called Lynx and uh, he, he sang various songs with a soul singer called Jackie Graham and uh, I would road manage him and take him to gigs and then go and hire a car and we'd, have, we'd always be late <laughs> so we'd turn up and do a show and I'd drive him home and he I remember him saying to me Chris there's probably six jobs in the world you can do well but there's only one of them you'd starve for, and that's the job you should do because the money will come in the long run. And I've always, I've never been a money person. Like, you know, I mean, it's nice having money to buy stuff, but it's when you get money, you realise you don't actually want the things that you wanted, that you thought you wanted. And I've always tried to follow my heart and do that job that makes you happy. Like, the, you know, the, the job that you'd starve for is the job that just fulfills you. And it took a long time to find this job you know and i was i was a rave promoter doing dance parties and i was a fashion designer and uh, had a pr company did made the first internet tv series in the uk done all kinds of weird and wonderful stuff wow. um, and when i look back it's weird that every single one of them was a stepping stone to this point every failure was a big kick in a different direction because I was sitting on my ass too long in a different project. And uh, it all led to this point. So part of it is you've got to have the passion. You've got to care about it. You've got to care about it so much that you're happy to give up Saturday night and Sunday night and not go to the pub with your mates and not go and play football because you've got to work on the project. I mean, when you've got a new business, you've got to invest all your time into it i mean i'm not saying that you should give up all your life forever you've also got to have a life and you need to step back and be and have a balanced healthy life but you do need to work really hard and that does mean making sacrifices because lots of people don't and that's why they don't have successful businesses so you've got to make sacrifices and we treated it as a company as a serious company from day one so i mean the bit of the back story is I had the fashion company, you know, I've always been a gamer and I wasn't really happy and I wanted to do something different. And, yeah, I'd met Rita and so I started doing, releasing these PDFs with, um, Sarah Newton had written these wartime adventures. I'd come up with the concept of Acton Cthulhu, this sort of, you know, Cthulhu set in World War II and we released them in PDF through drive-through and built up a, a mailing list and I used all my skills. From running a, the first internet PR company in the UK to get all the free PR and and build up the mailing list and and then Kickstarter came along. We knew then that we could kind of launch the project, but we thought we would just make twenty grand and and that I would be able to work from home a day a week on this fun project, and it would pay for the, you know a couple of holidays here and there. And and of course, it was a huge success. But our attitude was then like, okay, I'm leaving the company. I'm going to do this full time. And then it was like, okay, what's next? Because we're going to finish these 10 books that we unlocked, you know, in a couple of years. But we can't just do that. We've got to think beyond that. What's the next project? So immediately my head was thinking, what do we what do we start working on next year and the year after? So I treated it as a business from day one. And I'd been running lots of businesses that had gone badly (laughs) before and uh, I was determined not to make the same mistake. So we really worked hard to set it up as a business. So whilst we were doing a Kickstarter every year, I just always assumed that that was a golden goose that was going to fly away one day, that one day we wouldn't be able to use Kickstarter for whatever reason, like maybe it was a flash in a pan and people would move on to something else or, you know, who knows? And so I worked really hard to get distribution sales really from the beginning, like lay the seeds of like, okay, we've got these books coming. Can we sell through you? And so once we hit the point where we could release the books, then we had a distribution revenue. So, so that meant we could, you know, we were getting money from Kickstarters, but we were also getting money from distribution and distribution sells a lot more volume and more volume means you get lower costs of goods because you can print more books. And that means you make more money on everything. And then I also thought, well, I'm not going to rely on that either because distribution could go away one day. Who knew COVID would come and get the website motoring? And I'd run the website for our fashion label before. Just thought, okay, let's let's get the, the let's get the website up to the point that's paying the wages every month. So if, even if everything else went away, we could pay people's wages. And we got to that point. Gosh, within about a couple of years, it was amazing. And that was really just takes a lot of stress away when you think we can pay our wages for you know basically as long as we keep the website ticking over everything else is a you know is a a bonus to build the business so i think it it was the fact that we didn't think of of ourselves as just a hobby from day one i mean i did in the year before the kickstarter it was just like this is this is going to pay for a a holiday but even then i was like this is going to pay for a holiday this is what, the reason I'm working these long hours, is <laughs> so we get to go away and have fun and relax. So it had a purpose. It wasn't just, I want to do this because I like making games and maybe I'll make some money. It was, let's make some money and achieve something. And then it was, let's make a business and employ people and protect our future. And, you know, cause I'd given up the day job, you know, I was, and I was always very careful with the money and, and Rita looks after our money and she's also very careful with it. And, um, you know, we never thought, you know, we had like $300,000 in the bank, like in our first month, and we didn't go let's book every single convention and fly everywhere and just go and hang out with everyone. It was like, we've actually got 10 books to make. So we just got on and worked really hard. Mm-hmm. And you know, it wasn't really until we had something properly to show that we started to do the odd convention. And, you know, you just, I mean, we got to, I don't know, gone and bought a Ferrari or something stupid. <laughs> you no, know, It's like thinking I I actually could walk in somewhere and pay with the credit card now, right now. But it was, you know, was stu- you've just got to be really careful with the money and think ahead and think like, what happens if something happens? What happens if I can't do the Kickstarter in seven months? What happens if the distribution just dries up? You know, let's keep the money, you know, um, as long as we can until... You know, we know that there's a safe revenue.
1: So I was talking with an estate planning attorney who is now the mayor of a local city of mine and probably will be the president of the United States one day, this very <laughs> smart and aggressive woman uh, that I know. And um, she taught, you know, the people that are wealthy, which as an estate planning attorney, those are kind of your clients, are wealthy people that have an estate that they need to plan for. She said that the people that she works with that are wealthy, they have—they all have one thing in common, and that is the joy of saving. So, you know, if you have the the money and you spend the money, I mean, there are a lot of people that are very, very wealthy that are living paycheck to paycheck because yeah. they're just living above their, you know, 10% yeah. above their means or whatever it is. And they might make eight hundred thousand dollars a month, but they're paying eight hundred and fifty, oh, yeah. um, or whatever. Something yeah. to think
2: about. That. I mean, I, because I've, you know, from working in events, we've, you know, I, I've done a lot of big parties, and, you know, you meet a lot of like very successful, very rich party people, and a lot of them are boring as hell, <laughs> because they don't know what to, they don't know what to do with their life. They don't need, they don't need anything. They know, they just go from party to party, they've got nothing to talk about. Because what did you do? Oh, I went to Monaco, had a party. Great. Okay, brilliant. What did you what did you do last weekend? Oh, I went to Mykonos and parted like but what did you do with your life? What did you is there something <laughs> cool that you've done? You know, it's not you can't live I mean, a lot of people do live like that. And I do find that well, there's two Reminds there's me one
1: of one. the Mistborn series by Brandon Sanderson. Yeah, yeah. I mean <laughs> anyway.
2: there's rich people who don't achieve anything because they just they just party all their life. And, and there's people who are successful and, and I'm not saying rich, but they're successful and they might have access to money through their business or their personal life. And they use it to do interesting things. They use it to create a business. They use it to help other people and they are amazing. And they go on to help loads and loads and loads of other people through all kinds of ways. So mm-hmm. like yeah. Gabe
3: Newell, I know you're a bit of a Half-Life fan. And that's exactly what he did. He left Microsoft and he he made enough money to retire, but he set up a gaming company, created Half-Life and just knocked the the doors down, the the gaming industry. And from there to Steam, and they're still a private company. So I think that's a great example of an entrepreneur who just kind of grabbed the wheel and went with it. And when you talk about, as an entrepreneur, failing, I think entrepreneurs don't fail, they learn. It sounds like that's exactly what you did
2: it's the classic I, I made some terrible mistakes and every single one you learn from and you, and well ideally you don't do it again but you'll be surprised how often you make the same mistakes but you you have to fail because if you keep being successful that's great but one day you're going to have the most spectacular fail because you didn't see it coming because you just thought you were amazing and everything was golden. That sounds
0: like me and my cryptocurrency investments.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I now
1: am thankful to make a steady salary from my business, but it took me like, I want to say like seven or eight years before I could actually have a a steady salary on payroll that I could rely on. It was touch and go for like, for a very long time. Uh, Just trying to grow the business and making sure other people get paid you know, you, you rely on, th- those people rely on you for their livelihood. And sometimes I would go without a paycheck just to make sure that we didn't go negative in the account and other things like that. And,
2: you know, you, that's why you've got to be doing what you love so that when you can't pay yourself one month, you, you know, you can make do, you know, you, you're you having baked beans, and uh, beer baines on Tom toast,
1: and- <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. night in a row. You know, and like I said, the success will come if you really follow your heart, truly believe that. Everyone I've seen who just sticks with what they absolutely love, success will come. And it doesn't mean it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be billions of dollars. Success could be. I remember well, this, this guy David actually once said to me, all, "All I want is enough to pay the bills, so that no bill is a shock." getting to a space where you're happy with what you've got that you and if you're happy with your what you're doing you're often happy with where you are in your life and you can make do with whatever life gives you and then when stuff comes you are mentally prepared to deal with a success so you can pass that on and, and help others you know you know no company is one game right I mean unless you're lucky to have pandemic or ticket to ride you've got to think beyond no one game is going to make you millions and millions and that's it so you've got to think like I did okay I had Acton Cthulhu you know we had 300 grand in the bank we you know we were making it 10 books and a range of miniatures and t-shirts and a bag and all kinds of stuff merchandise so we knew we needed the money it wasn't like oh yeah we're gonna have like 200 grand left after this we're just we're we're gonna have a party, but he was like, "Okay, but if I don't go full time, so I know there's mo- enough money to pay us, a, you know, a fair basic wage for the next year and maybe two years out of that, but the money's going to run out because we're going to, st- you know, we're going to be paying out in writers and production fees. So let's start the next thing, the next project. So I then went and got the Mutant Chronicles license that year and started building up to another Kickstarter the following year. So that, as acton Cthulhu stuff started to come out it was well being delivered to backers, then we could start putting it into stores you know you've got to think where can I go with this and and it and it is all or nothing I mean it was a big risk. What would have happened if the next Kickstarter failed, then we would have had to work really hard, you know cut back, maybe come up with another project or start again. And, you know, we were lucky that we were good at PR. We were good at making a noise and getting attention. I mean, there was a lot less competition for Kickstarters uh, back then. Most of the, you know, I think the biggest RPG Kickstarters were like maybe $500,000 and, you know, ours was like, you know, 300,000. So we were in like the kind of top five, top 10. So it was easy to get seen and noticed, you know, but we had to make a a decision, like, we're gonna do this. And I was leaving my, my job And, you know, and I was happy to leave the job because I had had enough of T-shirts. So, and, you know, and I was, I was using, we were going to use some of that money to pay our uh, pay our wages. But, and also this is something you should also do is don't feel guilty about paying yourself out of your Kickstarter money because you have to work. And too many projects are like, oh, but you can't take money out for yourself. What do you mean? Like, this is a job. You have to deliver a thing. If you can't, Uh, Justify to your partner why you're spending hours and hours. There's one thing as a hobby, but now it's a job because you've got to do all this work, got to pay yourself. So at least you can go. Well, we can pay for a holiday now because I did all that hard work. Or you know, we can pay for the rent. Like you know, uh, we can fix the car. Like or get that operation done. So you've got to be able to justify. I mean, I'm not saying okay, you raise fifty grand and you pay yourself thirty, and then you can't pay the (laughs) actors. you know but if you you've got to pay yourself some money for the time you work and it should be fair money for the time you work but also start thinking beyond and above that is like where could we go next whilst i'm working on this project what other project could i be spinning up that i could kickstart in a year's time as we're delivering this and then that brings more money in and then we start working on that and then you know now we're now at a point where we've got you know we've well, we we've just finished selling Act and Cthulhu. It's it's over now. But we uh, you know, earlier this year we had, you know, ten Act and Cthulhu books, we had um uh seventeen mutant chronicle books, twenty Conan books, um, uh seventeen eighteen odd infinity books. All those Kickstarters generated crazy numbers of books, probably too many, because it took us forever to deliver them. <laughs> but we have all those books selling on the web store and in retail and like that all adds up it's a bit like you know the amazon model where amazon makes more money off all the little weird books that sell one a month than the books that sell fifty thousand in a month because Mm -hmm. the long tail sales are massive across all the bizarre gazillions of different types of books there are on amazon so the more you can have selling just all that little incremental uh, money builds up. So I'm not saying go and do a Kickstarter and create 30 books. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> that, as we've seen, there's lots of people who've done Kickstarters, their businesses have gone down or you know they've failed miserably and and um, so you've got to, you've got to know that you can do. It. I mean I came from a you know my my uh, previous job as a fashion designer. We had to do two major collections of a year a year of probably 100 to 200 SKUs. Two sub collections a year that were another 50 to 100 skews. And each skew is a t shirt in five sizes or a jacket in four sizes. And it's very complex production and sampling and testing and research and development. And, you know, making a book with a bunch of people. When I came into the industry, I was like, this is actually quite easy <laughs> when we did t-shirts and bags and stuff, people were like, Oh no, don't do t-shirts and bags. They're really hard. It's like, trust me, I've got this one. <laughs> yeah. so, and I think I know how to do that. And, you know, it, and it's, it is a lot of work corralling. It's like, you know, it's herding. It, making a role-playing book is, is, um, is easier, you know, than, um, well, no, it's, it's harder than herding cats. It's like a whole bunch of human beings where, human problems come into the fray you know people have you can't set all these deadlines because someone someone's life has a meltdown someone gets ill and you know it's people right and so you've got to be compassionate and organized and find replacements at the last minute and the people who are really really good and you pay more money turn out to be terrible and the people who are, are young and the young punks sometimes are good and sometimes are equally terrible or worse, <laughs> and it's you know it's it's trying to figure out who you can get and what you can pay and can you pay an, a fair amount of money and it's it's a mad crazy chaos. I'm amazed anything gets made. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is, so it is a great industry. How did you get into so-
3: licensing then? Um, you know, because you, you work with so many big IPs. Wait, like I suppose. What came to your mind? It's like, yeah, let's per- let's pursue this. I know you, you create your own products, but then yeah. when was the transition um, to actually pursue licensing and how did that come about?
2: Well, I, I knew the people who had the Mutant Chronicles license. So they'd been talking to me about t-shirts way back. And I, I saw the person who was their agent and I said, oh, I've got this new games company. And they're like, oh, well, maybe you could do something with Mutant Chronicles. And I was like, you know, and it, it, at the time it was like, it had been a GW style brand in the nineties and it had a movie and video games and it was translated into loads of languages. And I was like, okay, actually that could be quite cool. And it, that was our next 150,000 pound Kickstarter. And that was our first license. And then we started talking to, I I'd been talking to ITV about the Thunderbirds TV series about for clothing as part of my previous job. And it just didn't work. And I was like, actually, (laughs) yeah, yeah, this could make a great game. And then I remember, meeting Matt Leacock at Essen and just saying hey do you know this show Thunderbirds and he's like no I was like I said okay well look, I'd love to do a game with you on it you know and he's like all right I'll go and watch it with my kids and I was that I was like yes because I knew <laughs> if you watched it with his kids he'd love it and they will they would love it and be like dad you got to make a game and so those first couple of licenses you know were a bit natural and then we started pitching to do Conan, which was the same people who have Mutant Chronicles. And I had done previously a lot of licensing with video games companies as part of the T-shirt company called Joystick Junkies. It was all like Atari. we did the first Atari T-shirts that were legal, not ripoffs. We did um, (laughs) Space Invaders and uh, Midway Games and Activision. And uh, we did a load of Battlefield stuff so i knew what licensees or licensors like with video companies wanted to hear when you were pitching them you can't go in and go we want to do a kickstarter could we if we're successful can we have a license to make a game and then we'll pay you some money and it's we'll probably give we'll probably be able to give you you know like a couple of thousand dollars it's not worth their time they're like talked if you got 10 if you can say i can give you ten thousand dollars up front now you're talking now you've got their attention because it's like okay well that's worth my lawyer's time and mm. so I knew what they wanted to hear as we did Thunderbirds and as we'd done Conan I started um I got lucky that uh, a, a, fr- a good friend of mine was working with Star Trek uh well actually <laughs> he was a good friend from ages ago and we kind of bumped into each other and was like I haven't seen you in ages and he used to be in a tabletop company and then was now running a big video games company I was like oh you're working with Star Trek He's, yeah yeah do you want an introduction I was like, "Yes." <laughs> and, but it took 4 years of talking to them and, and cuz they were a small team and they weren't really doing a huge amount of licensing and it was a lot of work to license a role playing game the reason you don't see a lot of role playing games for big video games is cuz they just don't care it's mm-hmm. like they're making mil- tens of millions from other licensing from other proper and from the video games and if some if if they've got to work with you on a role-playing game, one of their team is not working on the role on the video game, is having to mm. check those fat hundreds of thousands of words that you want to write for their game, and it's take is distracting them. And most of them don't have massive licensing teams, and so they see it as a it's just not worth our time, unless you get lucky, in which case, you know, the part of the team are big tabletop gamers and really want to see it happen. You know, like I remember reading that the producer of Dishonored was like, oh, this would make a great tabletop role-playing game. I, hope, I wish someone would make one one day. You know, so we, did, we had done Star Trek. And finally, I remember like getting the email from the vice president of licensing saying okay we're on this is the contract for you i was like we're gonna do star trek and uh that was quite an amazing moment i was like wow we've made it we've really made it and, and when we went on pre-order with star trek our web sales tripled overnight and then we doubled our web sales ongoing from that point point. and that was wow. that was like a real moment where we kind of leveled up You know, and like the little music play, ding, 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 Uh, (laughs) ding, little golden stars appear. And then, of course, because I'm always thinking ahead, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I used to talk to this guy who was head of PR at Bethesda, and I was always trying to get the rights to do Fallout t shirts. So I got in touch with him, and he was like, okay, you need to speak to this marketing guy. And I got talking to the marketing guy. And two years later, I'm still trying to occasionally talk. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but we're too busy. Anyway, finally, I'm walking through Hyde Park and this guy, Mike, rings me up and he's like, oh, here, you want to do something with Fallout. What do you want to do? I'm like, oh, and it's really noisy. I'm like desperately trying to walk into the park somewhere quieter with Rita. And I'm like pointing at the phone like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, what, um, we'd love to do a board game. He's like, well, we can't do that. Fantasy Flight are doing that. And I just was like, "Uh, so um, Warhammer Fallout. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe that could work. Um, look send me a proposal and I was like oh god oh god so um you know so immediately we started putting a pitch together and and then you know that took three years before we finally could make it work because of course they're so busy and we were small fry and uh, but finally we you know got the contract made it work and that that again leveled us up as a company suddenly you know you've got this triple a video game title that you're making a game for you get press everywhere, even bigger than Star Trek you know, and mm-hmm. um again even bigger sales so you know that you know we've grown the company through licensing, so I could have kept doing my own babies, but it you know it's a bit like when people become movie directors they don't they make a sh- a low budget movie to get noticed, but then they go off and make Hollywood movies once they get noticed mm-hmm. they're they're trying to do the big jobs they get paid a lot of money and then eventually they go and make the really 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 bizarre movie for like a silly like amount avatar. of avatar yeah <laughs> the thing
1: no one asked for
2: <laughs> right. so so that's what i was i was saying it's like okay we're going to build the company through licenses cuz every license is brings you a big audience it gets you loads of marketing loads of press you get a load of assets you get lots of artwork i mean in star trek's case we decided to paint all the new artwork we could have used pictures, but Decipher did that years ago. And, you know, and we wanted to show Star Trek characters doing cool stuff, jumping across chasms and firing phasers at spaceships and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, you didn't necessarily see that in the TV show. So we wanted to really go go crazy with it. Every license we brought on board pumped up our mailing list, pumped up our fan base, pumped up our web sales. So we used that to grow the company, always with the knowledge that one day, we'll come back to the creative pool and create our own IPs, which actually, funny enough, we've got a, a brand new IP of our own in the same universe as Act and Cthulhu launching next year. have got another one uh, that I've been working on for about five years and uh, noodling away at, and there's about 500 pieces of artwork for it. Wow. That's a really cool uh, story, and that's going to launch in 23. So we're kind of coming back to the roots of what we really want to do, which is create great worlds but at the same time you know you get offered amazing licenses and you're like oh but that would be so cool to <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a balance now but now we don't have to do them which is great
0: it can either be super successful or i have a feeling that it can also be super detrimental to your business because if a product comes out with 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 the uh, with an ip and it doesn't play as well as people want or plan like can you just briefly go over the process of like how how the game's made and how it's reviewed and like how you guys go back and forth and determine like what's the you know what's um, the playability yeah. on these?
2: So Fallout's a good example. I mean, it was like okay, we're going to make a skirmish game, and I had I've got this big bugbear at solo and co-op games. I was a solo gamer since I was a kid. I was like, we're going to make this the best solo game so um, I can have fun playing. It. I don't care about anyone else. <laughs> and I, but I was pretty sure that there was a huge population of people that would also get that, and it, you could play co-op. But, you know, it's like it's such a big universe and where do you start? There's so many Fallout games, but Fallout 4 has had the biggest sales. So whilst there might be a lot of very noisy people who are like, no, 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 you should do Fallout 3 or Fallout 2. It's like, OK, but millions more people bought Fallout 4. So I know there's an audience. Yep. There. And but then I've always done surveys. And one of the things I've always done with crowdfunding is, you know, my very first crowdfunding project, Acting Cthulhu, I did a survey which is, what do you want to see? What's your favourite thing about Cthulhu? What's your favourite things about, what's your favourite front in World War II? You know, what do you want to see? Source books or miniatures? Do you want to see core books? Do you want to see gaming tiles? Do you want to, you know, what are the stuff? And then you look at all that that data and you go, and then and then I would do, a, the pledge is going to be around this price. Will you back it? So I knew day one that I would probably have about 500 backers uh, for acting theory, and we and we actually went a bit past that, and then, uh, and then I've done that for all the other kickstarters like Conan and Infinity. Like, you know, what are the f- favorite books of Conan? What are your favorite factions in Infinity? Are you going to back this project if it's you know mm-hmm. within this reason? And having that, and then you've got a load of email addresses that you can then go and say, you know, and this is you drive all your audience into a sign up page, and then you, you go and talk to them and go. What is it you're looking for in this world of Conan or in this world of infinity? So you find out what people care about. And we did that with Fallout. So what are your favorite factions? What are your favorite characters? What are your favorite robots, your monsters? What are your favorite locations in Fallout uh, and your favorite games? Which of the Fallout games have you played? So we had this huge body of research that then informed us which of the factions we should sculpt first as miniatures. And then, you know, and also we we asked them what types of games they played. Were they board gamers or war gamers? Which war games did they play? Did they play solo and co-op? We've often done surveys down through the life of games like that, because as you grow the game, you kind of are looking to steer it. But I'm a, I'm a big believer in lead from the front, but listen to your audience behind you. So I yeah. think the audience wants to know that you're in control. It's like, No one wanted interactive movies. This whole, do you remember like in the 90s, it was all about multimedia and how you were going to decide what was going to happen in a movie. If I wake up, if I realize I'm in a chair in a movie and have to press a button, I'm not enjoying myself, right? You know, when you're like, oh, this seat's really uncomfortable. That's the movie's terrible. Like, cause you you get that. And so I think as a brand, the audience wants to know that you've got this secret, that you've got a plan, that you know where you're going. There's this awesome story but, like okay, but um yeah, we'll do Klingons next because everyone's talking about how how awesome Klingons are that's part of the plan. You should always listen to the community, but lead it's just put you know push forward and be you know be creative and passionate and believe in where you're going, but have just be steer, steered as a as a ship, you know, and a ship doesn't mm-hmm. suddenly do a left turn, it kind of bears to the left a bit, but you're still heading to America, you know uh, as, uh, Christopher Columbus or whatever you kind of, but you'll probably end up in South America, maybe not in, you know, Florida or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, I, I love what you said about surveying and getting, you know, getting your audience's buy-in, I think is so important. You know, when we were going to Kickstarter with deliverance, we had this, uh, you know, a plan for generally the base game is going to be, you know, I want it to be under $60. If I can get it to $59, That price point is really important. Mm. Then all gameplay content will be the next pledge level. And then we're actually a lot like Skyrim, you know, the cosmetic stuff is in the, you know, final pledge tier. Mm. And my thought was, you know, would people be okay with, you know, like, I mean, if I wanted a neoprene mat, that was huge. And I wanted metal coins and all that. It's like, I, it needs to be like 150 bucks, you know, and would people be willing to pay for that? And. I just asked them and it, they were, oh, yeah. I mean, they were all like, well, yes, that's great. I, it's yeah, only
2: 150 yeah. Yeah, 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 no, that's right. Yeah. I mean, if people are passionate, within reason, there is no limit. I mean, it's its finding that magic moment. It's like on Drive-Thru RPG is a good example, is that they've done a lot of research that a lot of people charge more than $20 for a core book in PDF and a lot of people charge less, but the actual magic number is $20. Because at $20, you make the most money from the most people. And yes, you could charge $25, 30 for a PDF, but your actual total revenue is going to go down. And there's, mm-hmm. there's no cost of goods <laughs> selling a PDF. <laughs> well, okay, there is. People have to be paid. Tiny, and yeah. Like when yeah. we do our budgets, we know, okay, we're going to probably sell this many physical books and this many PDFs. And that total money means that we can sell it at this price so it's not like oh yeah that's free money you should just give it away for free we factor in the money that we're going to make from a pdf into the cost price and the margin and paying everyone so that means we can pay everyone this but Mm -hmm. um you know so selling it for less than twenty dollars is you you don't sell a lot more i remember someone did a test with one rpg and they're like oh i i'm sure if i sell it for a buck that i'm just going to sell hundreds of thousands and it it didn't because there isn't that audience. There, there mm-hmm. isn't hundreds of thousands of people just waiting on drive-through RPG for a, uh, an amazing one-dollar bargain. You know, I think yeah, that's the thing is is listening to your audience and having a sense of what's the right number. And and also you have got to think logistically. Like people are saying, oh, can you can we have the neoprene mat as an add-on? It's like, well, it sounds like a great idea. And this is a mistake lots of people make. It's like, well, you have got to roll it up to ship it and that means it has to go in a separate shipment so can your pledge manager calculate two weight based shipments together mm-hmm. as one cost because and then is your customer going to go wait a minute why is my shipping so crazy and you haven't communicated that well because you ordered the heirloom mat you've now got two shipping costs and mm-hmm. um so it works with the deluxe pledge because it's a big long box and it's going to be along the top but it doesn't work with anything else so we've got to figure out and if you do all that work, is it actually just going to be 50 people who order it separately? Or is it yeah. uh, and, and also there's an incentive to to you know upgrade to get the Neoprome Map if they can't get it anywhere else. And it's there's also logistics. Are you making your life are you giving yourself days of work for you know 20 people or 50 people? If it was five thousand people, maybe you know it's worthwhile. But you've got to also consider workload and should you bother doing this?
1: Yeah, I think that that's so so important. So you have a lot of experience on Kickstarter. And Skyrim is now on GameFound. I know that we have, you know, about two weeks left in your Skyrim campaign as of the yeah. time of our recording this podcast. And you've made $1.15 million with Skyrim
2: right now. The other interesting we've had a lot of people go, oh, you should be like at three or four million. You should have like five or six languages. Why haven't you got all the languages? They're like, well... We've got 12 languages we're negotiating with. If we went live with 12 languages as part of this project, we wouldn't have started this for another year because it would have taken a year to plan. And can you imagine trying to do all the updates? And can you imagine the delays (laughs) afterwards to deliver the project? So most people have like three or four major languages. Like we've got 12 minimum. We've got like more people contact. There's so many languages want to translate this game. So and the other thing is that there is this sort of perception that if you don't have g- millions and millions and millions day 1 day 3 whatever you're a failure yeah and you've got to um we don't rely on kickstarter or game or crowdfunding so we're also doing this global deal for distribution and we don't want to kill retail with this we want this because mm-hmm. i really genuinely believe that retail is very 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 important to the success of a game in the community that it's we can ship it out from the crowdfunding and it goes out and people start playing it but if a retailer doesn't have it on their table and they're like hey Dave have you seen this new game this is you like these types of games check it out and he's like okay great I'll buy it I didn't know that existed because I'm not online and I'm not I don't have Facebook there's a massive 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 audience of gamers that you never reach through Facebook you never reach through google and you never reach through your website they just go into local their local store and they rely on this store owner going hey you know you like adventure games i've got a thing for you or i've got that new war game that you would you know i was telling you about and they rely on the stores to deliver that into customers hands. it's really important that we destroy the whole potential Mm -hmm. for retail to support this game so that's our we're walking a fine line of like we're doing fine because yep. we're going to do really well in retail later on and retails like jumping all over this. Like we've got a, you know, we're going to have a massive production, second production run for distrib- for languages. And so we want to make sure that's not delayed by the English edition. And we're also balancing that there's always a temptation of like, Oh, what if we'd unlocked another box with like five big dragons? And then we did this, like, you know, frost astronaut that's this big and it'll be really cool yeah that's another year's production and you just and then you're delaying your retail you you know retail's forgotten about you Mm -hmm. if you delay that Mm -hmm. big so that's a real tricky thing i always say to project owners like and i've learned this through the hard lesson of doing too much right is scale back and get into retail and come back to kickstarter or crowdfunding in another year with the big expansion so we'll probably do that we'll Probably come back with another big cool expansion for Skyrim in a year or so, and then re you know do another big reprint. And so it's like balancing that. What do you what do you need? You don't need to make your millions on crowdfunding. Balance it between crowdfunding and retail because you rely on both to be a true mm-hmm. success. I think.
0: Other people who do these um, great beautiful board games, they they don't see beyond the the crowdfunding like they just go mm-hmm. there and like there's a lot of games my my old roommate he's a crazy fan of board games and he's got like everything like he's mm-hmm. he got in trouble um his wife put him on restriction for ordering too many <laughs> board games on you know on crowdfunding so he's got he's got a budget now but anyway, like he, he he'll be like, hey, let's try this game. He you know, so I go over to his house and we play. I'm like, this is a great game. Where can I get it? He's like, well, uh, it's it's it was only on crowdfunding, and there's nowhere else to get it. It's because exciting.
2: the the trouble is, a lot of people budget it for for crowdfunding, and they put everything in like piles of mm-hmm. stuff, and then when you go, well, you know, you need to give um 60 discount to a distributor. They're like, what? Like I can't <laughs> sell this for less than twenty, you know, twenty percent off. It's like, well, you're never going to get into stores, and as a result, you're going to have a small production run. You know, you mm-hmm. if you get, you know, it's like a kind of, let's say you sell five hundred in crowdfunding, but you could sell five thousand into distribution, and if you sell five thousand, your production costs would be a lot lower. And I um, mean, you know, it, it's fine. A lot of people they they don't want to have a business where they're selling into distribution. They just want to. St- Create their baby and make it as beautiful as they can and sell it on crowdfunding. But you're, again, going back to the why can't I make this a career? Why can't I make this a business? Is like well, you just hamstrung yourself um, and all that stock you're going to have left over, like you can't afford to sell it to a store or, you know, you're going to be selling at a loss. And there is this, I mean, we've also got this problem that we're all putting too much into the games and that um, we had someone saying to us, oh, but you know, you're, you're saying your your price is a uh, hundred pounds for retail for the Skyrim box, you know the the final retail price, and you know that's like Gloomhaven, and there's more stuff in Gloomhaven. It's like, well, yeah, but this is a hundred pounds end of next year, and do you realize what's happening in the world? Like, asthma Day just increased all their prices by ten to twenty percent. Anything that's like a hundred pounds or more is going up twenty yes. percent. Like the entire industry, and like to to give people an idea, if you didn't know. Like a container that brings about three thousand boxes, the size of ticket to ride, used to cost about three thousand dollars. Sorry, six thousand dollars from China to America. Now it's thirty-six thousand dollars. So you are talking where it used to be like a buck fifty, two bucks that you budget to bring your game. yet now it's like twelve bucks. It's an insane amount of money. That is basically the same cost. That's more than the game cost to make so yeah. that really what you should be doing is times your cost by like five <laughs> your fifty dollar <laughs> ticket to ride should actually be 250 dollars in distribution to get the money back but what's happening is people are putting their cost up by like 20 percent and taking an enormous crazy cut in their margin but that can't be sustained and i think we've had it too good for too long that i think Later next year, you're going to start seeing those um, Kickstarters that were like $100, bucks. they are going to be 200 bucks because mm-hmm. they, people will realize like this, this, it's not worth doing it. Why make a big have- box game? It's for games people need to get used to. They're going to cost more in the long run. I, yeah. I don't think those container prices aren't just going to go back to normal because Right.
1: Until another country can really compete with China in pricing and quality. You know, it's it's you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I want to make my stuff on American shores because, you know, American stuff is better. And I always tell them, like, try to get a plastic miniature made in America. Yeah. You know, and try to get it made at higher quality than China can make it. You know, it's... Yeah, I
2: know it's, and they're just, and it's difficult to I mean, I know one game company, War Games Atlantic, uh, are starting up their production with um, hard plastic tooling in the US for war games miniatures. But to get pre-assembled PVC board game miniatures and all the kind of dice and and stuff, you're talking hundreds of millions of investment for a company on the on the hope that things go don't go back to normal with shipping from mm-hmm. China. And, you know, Chinese companies are great at making things with lots of detail. They're very good attention to detail. You know, they're great engineers. You know, they're great at getting stuff done. And that's not going to change in a rush. I mean, it would be great to be able to bring production back, but someone's got to take a massive, massive risk. And I bet most people who are saying that they should uh, aren't the ones who are going to put their hands in their pockets. To, mm-hmm. to help out, it's um, it's.
1: I think somebody needs to send Bill Gates a copy of Catan or something. <laughs> yeah, guessing. maybe. Yeah.
2: Well, maybe Elon yeah. Musk is like, hey Elon yeah. Musk, let's help us make games. Yep. It's the same thing in the UK, you know. I know
1: you're obsessive compulsive, Elon Musk. Here's Twilight <laughs> Imperium.
2: Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna play oh, yeah. this.
0: <laughs> let's do it for real. <laughs>
1: yeah. So you have this distributor that you've already kind of partnered with, you know, maybe Alliance or, or several distribution companies, but for a newer company, they oftentimes look at distribution, like the land of milk and honey from Winnie the Pooh, where it's like, (laughs) Oh my goodness, if I could only make it there. Right. And so, uh... you know, I, I, I think, you know, somebody who's not there, the most common objection that I always come up with myself, and I'm not Educated, really, because I'm personally not in distribution yet with any products of mine because I have a grand total of one product. But I I would imagine a distribution company would look at you and say, hey, you know, you sold like for me, I sold $314,000 worth of my product on Kickstarter and 2,700 backers. Great. That was all the people that wanted to buy your game. You know, all the people that wanted to buy a game like that bought it. And that would be one of the objections that I felt like. A distribution company. I would need to overcome in order to actually get into distribution.
2: I think. Um, I think they see it as an advert now. I. I mean, weirdly enough, um, I've never had someone say, "You've probably sold all the stock that's that there is demand for." Normally, now it's like if it was bad, if it was uh, just no interest, then then it's more like a like
1: hundred backers like, or like, two hundred backers. If you
2: if you do really well and all kinds of scales of really well from good to really, really, really crazy. Well, people see that as a big advert, like, Oh, I better get this in store. Like, because, Kickstarter is just a, like a 0.0001% fraction of the rest of the tabletop hobby. You know, it's a bit like get, going, wow, our RPGs are really big, but then actually look at Dungeons & Dragons, the giant, you know, gorilla in the <laughs> room, stomping around. Like you haven't got, a, we haven't got a fraction on the big the big sales. And uh, you've got to remember that distribution has massively bigger numbers, but you've also got to be realistic. Don't assume that, you know, let's say you sell a um, thousand copies at Kickstarter. You're not going to get a, an order for 10,000 from distribution. And also the issue is gone are the days when a distributor goes, I believe in your game. I'm going to take 5,000. Yeah. What they do is they solicit it. They send out a an email. They set, put it on their release de- details. So it's a picture of the game and some, you know, component images and a press release and in the back of the box text, basically, And it goes out to all the retailers, and the retailers go, Yeah, it's not for me. Uh, Or they go, Looks interesting. Oh, well, there's a new ticket to ride this week. I'll have that instead. Or some of them go, I'll try one of those. And so the distributor gets orders for like 57. And they order 58 from you, and so they don't go, <laughs> "This is great, you know if, it's, if we start. I mean, they know roughly how much it might be that they get orders for 50. they order 100 because they've got a good feeling. But actually more and more now we're seeing that they order just in time, so they'll order just a couple more, maybe 10 percent over. and And most of the time, the very big one let's put not put a name to it the very big. Distributor is out all the time because they're too busy and don't reorder on time. And I have no endless, endless, endless retailers come to me and go, uh, "Can't get your stock. Uh, where? Who do you order from?" Insert big name, um, uh-huh. and you, you then call up big name distributor and go, "Why aren't you ordering our stock? We haven't got round to it yet." You know, they're just—it's insane. Like the distribution trade is in um, is in atrocious state. I mean, even other distributors are like that or they're just ordering enough and then they it's weeks before they get another order in. and all your retailers are like yeah. you're useless we can't buy your stuff anywhere yeah. we're gonna order someone else's stuff
1: and did you um, um have you gone through that where you sell direct to the retailers for that or
2: we sell direct to some stores in uh, in Europe who just come to us and you know they we've built up a relationship we're about to open a a wholesale backend for our us web store and our uk web store so that actually to save rita's um brain from melting because every time a retailer contacts and it's usually a small order and then it's you know it's time consuming so we can just give them a store account here's your store discount Mm -hmm. we've checked that you're a retailer Go and buy stuff. You'll have to pay up front, you know, because it's a store. And it just takes all that effort. But then we can start promoting it to all the U- all, all the U.S. retailers that are saying, we can't get your stuff. So then they've got no excuse.
3: Maybe, Chris, if you just want to quickly go over, what's been the biggest challenge in marketing the Skyrim board game at this present time? Or maybe something that you thought wasn't going to be an issue, it was, and maybe it's a clever way of how you overcame that objection or that challenge in marketing.
2: Well, actually, the tabletop simulator side of what we did, is the fact it was both our limitation and our strength. And I knew it was a problem because, of course, lots of the big reviewers are like, well, we can't do a review because we haven't got a thing. And um, so then I was like, well, but we could do this interview with you and show you the game and do a recording and, and have some of the design team. And we turned it into our strength. that um, that we and, and also it meant we were able to do the shows with them and be talking to them. And getting across some of the key facts about the game which wouldn't have happened if they'd had a physical prototype they would have been doing their review and you know people that there's you know a lot of the fans will also see more value in in that as well but we were able i mean i've been doing three four interviews and demos a day and streams with different people and we've now suddenly got dozens of videos coming out and um i mean in general people love the game and the fact that the fans can try the game and the, we put a lot of effort into top top simulator it's quite hard work to get it looking good and and you mm. and user friendly and that's really work because you know if you weren't sure you could just go and try it for yourself and and see if it was any good so that's that's been good uh, and i think the other thing is just having more help just you know even if it's someone that can just answer you know all the questions based on the faq and then let you know, okay, there's two or three you need to answer. That's a, a really big thing um, I'd always say, because, you know, the more energy you've got for the important stuff, um, the more you can do. So.
0: And that being said, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. A big shout out to Chris Birch of Modifius. Um, check out their latest game still on GameFound, uh, Elder Scrolls 5. You'll have about three days left to, to get, get in there and get this phenomenal board game. Um, and if you if you can't wait and you want to try it out, also visit Tabletop Simulator. And then, of course, visit their web store at Modifius.net. And we will see you all next week. Have happy holidays and stay nerdy.